Does any of this make you uncomfortable? My name is Matthew Kroll. And how the fuck did this happen? My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Fahrenheit 11.9. The sequel to... Fahrenheit 9.11. Uh, which is also the sequel to... Sick. March 23rd. No, <laughs> I don't know. Like, where were you going, Shahir? I don't know where I was going. Uh, well, I, you know what? We need someone to actually write the ship and let us know <laughs> where, in fact, we are going. Because I'm, after watching this film, a little concerned. <laughs> so, ladies and gentlemen, fellow human beings, it is my extreme pleasure to introduce to you the CEO of the production company, Hardpin. He was also the live producer with the 2012 Obama campaign and one of my original TRL brethren from back in the day. Please give a warm topan welcome to Mr. Simon Koss. Hello. How you going? doing, buddy? I'm good. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, and you literally just walked out of this movie like a second ago. So do you need a minute? Yes. Are you good? No, you I think a... I, I finished <laughs> half my beer, so I'm feeling, little, I'm feeling a little better about myself. And let's be clear. You didn't walk out of the movie. You finished it and left the theater. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think you were the only one unclear about that. <laughs> I, sometimes I get unclear about a lot of things. Uh, this you're, You being here is a bit fortuitous. Uh, and and I, I don't know, a cool little happenstance of like the New York uh, connectivity thing. Shahir mm -hmm. told Told me he's like, oh, I got a great guest for Fahrenheit 9/11. He was the you know the live producer for the 2012 Obama campaign. Da, da, da. I was like, oh, awesome. I'm like, what? What's their name? And he said Simon Cousin. I was like, motherfucker. <laughs> small world. It's so cool. Big city, small world. Yeah. yeah. So the way I got to you as well is I reached out to a friend of mine. And I was like, look, we're doing Fahrenheit 1199, uh, 11 and I want to. I, I want someone who has an interesting perspective on both either the documentary world or politics. And they came up with your name. And when I saw your credentials, I was like. This is the guy we must have on the show. You've had an interesting trajectory uh, in your career, uh, obviously starting with MTV with TRL and, and doing those kinds of shows. But you managed to, uh, well, you ended up uh, on the Obama campaign in 2012, producing his live stream. So you, I think you have a unique insight into the, into the way politics and filmmaking kind of co coalesce in interesting yeah. ways, right? Yeah, I think um, it was a really, really powerful experience that I got to have with my wife. And, and now lots of very close friends um, mm -hmm. that I got to work with um, over that time period. But um, it was unique in the sense that it was kind of like the first digital political campaign. Right. Um, you, know, you know, it had to start on the national level because they needed the money uh, to be able to pull something like that off. And um, they brought together like real filmmakers um, to work on that team. And a lot of people that are super talented that probably worked for a fraction of what their, um, you know used to making or able to make yeah. in the real world uh, to kind of, you know, work on something that everybody kind of felt really strongly about and, and you know, a candidate that um, that we all really believed in. So that was a really, really uh, powerful and amazing experience. So something that I uh, cherish. And you, you worked both on Obama's campaign and Hillary's campaign, right? Uh, yes and no. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I definitively worked on Obama's campaign. Um, I was uh, part of that digital video team. Um, for the Hillary campaign, my wife, um, Sierra was the, uh, the, the, uh, director of video. So she gotcha. actually ran, um, that video team and uh, I was already running hard or with my partners running hard pin. So, um, I was doing that and, um, 
So we were basically, we ended up just being kind of a resource for that campaign. So right. when they didn't have uh, enough people on staff yet, when they needed to do their launch video because they didn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, we nobody knew who Hillary in. was. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> well, nobody knew who we were and, uh, and continue to not know because we weren't allowed to talk about it. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So, we, so we've, we helped out where we could, whether it was doing like larger live streams or if they wanted to, uh, if they were strapped with resources because all the people they had hired were already out in the field, uh, they would come to us and kind of say like, hey, can you fill in, uh, have one of your uh, directors of photography go out and do cover this right. event or whatever it was. You were the you were the black ops of political videography. Yeah, yeah, at a di- at a heavy discount. <laughs> but um, but yes. So uh, it was uh, it was also a rewarding experience. They they um uh, contrary to the to what you know people reflecting about that campaign, it was a there was a lot of really great people on that um, mm-hmm. video team as well and they did really really awesome work and I think um yeah, it doesn't get enough credit but yeah, it's my opinion. So there's been an interesting thing, I think, before we even get to the movie um, that I've noticed uh, as a filmmaker and thinking about politics and filmmaking is that uh, political campaign videos, and I think the first inkling I saw of this was in Bernie Sanders' campaign um, uh, prior to the election, but there was this sense that uh, real filmmakers were getting involved in in political videos. You know, like... Uh, my impression previously that, and maybe I'm wrong about this, mm-hmm. is that political campaign videos were kind of, you know, stand up, hey, I'm this guy, I'm doing this, the, you know, yada, yada, yada. And and it was it started on Bernie Sanders' campaign. You can see it in um, Randy Bryce's campaign, yeah, The Iron yeah, Stash, yeah. and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez's videos as well, that there is like a real, uh, a, a real uh, depth of cinematic storytelling to those videos, which I hadn't previously seen. I, I wondered... You know, your company kind of deals in this world in some yeah. way. We're we're uh, uh, funny. You should bring that up. I'm uh, <laughs> very well versed in this right now because, um, ironically, uh, a few weeks back, um, my company was interviewed by the New York Times uh, mm-hmm. as it relates to that kind of video okay. creation. Yeah. Um, uh, for our part in creating, uh, there's a candidate in Connecticut called Johanna Hayes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we did her video, and, and it kind of got her national yeah. attention and she was uh kind of propelled further with that um and uh and so we were interviewed for that and uh the the big thing they wanted to get from us was like how do you make a viral video like <laughs> right, right. how do you like how do these candidates and like we didn't kind of like take the bait yeah. um in the way that some of the other I think they interviewed uh, the the Randy Bryce mm-hmm. um Guys and uh, and a couple of the other uh, 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 companies that have done videos like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and our position is kind of like, look, we're filmmakers. Uh, we lean into kind of documentary filmmaking, which to us is really just kind of um, opening a window to uh, who a person is. Yeah. Right. And so like that is successful when you have a good person to document. <laughs> um, and... Randy Rice had a great story, and they were able to um, tell that story in a really compelling way. And the same thing for us with Johanna Hayes. So it wasn't like a thing like we went to her and said, we're going to make a viral video. It's going to be really cool. Mm-hmm. It was, what do you do? Like, what do you care about? And we tried to capture that. And it, um, if it's authentic, if you don't overscript it, you know, you obviously in po- politics, you need to hit your points and make yeah. your kind of arguments. Um, we think that's compelling and that will translate. Um, we actually, 
um, did the video work for uh, Kathy Myers, who was running against Randy Bryce right. in okay. the campaign. <laughs> and the funny th story about that, which I'll tell really quickly, is she is a great candidate. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think much more compelling because he's now getting in trouble yeah. for a whole slew of things yeah. as it relates to his brother, calling him out on things, and yada, yada, yada. But she's a teacher. She had um, done work uh, in politics. She came from really humble uh, beginnings, all this stuff. But when she started her campaign, she wanted to like go with the local video team, you know, really lean into Wisconsin. Yeah. And the video was just a little flat. Like yeah. no, you know, no disrespect to the local film crew in in Wisconsin that did that video, but it just didn't have that kind of like it just was uh, the colors were flat. It it wasn't shot in a way that kind of like really leaned into what she was. And so she really started with like he started way ahead of her because right. of that. Right. Because he got this national attention, this money, this force. And then we kind of got involved um, six months later, did her video, and she really got a lot of push from that, but it was just never enough to catch up to him because right. yeah. he, he started, at that point yeah. he had Bernie Sanders behind him, yeah. all this stuff. And you know, politics is a is a game of sometimes you, if you're first to the table, you know that's yeah. all that matters. And also, I think uh, I use a lot of food analogies on this show, but I would say something like just sort of what you were going on, like if if the subject matter is interesting and compelling on its own, that's akin to say like really good ingredients. Yeah. But then the production company behind it is the one that's going to take those ingredients and actually like make the the delicious whatever the the uh, the the paella or whatever you want to make uh, sort of put yeah, that together. Yeah. I mean, I I would say it's more of kind of like we we try to highlight the ingredients and why the ingredients are good and right. so when you get to see that and you get to feel that yeah it's compelling um when you try to force it too much or when a candidate is too tight on how they want to kind of be perceived it, people see that and right. you know there's enough like that's when people lean into like fear-mongering mm -hmm. and lean into kind of like like focusing on just being negative or or attacking the issues on the other side and to us it's like we we want to work with candidates that believe in things that we believe in so we tend to just only work with kind of progressive left-leaning right. yeah. candidates and um and yeah and just kind of really lean into the things that we think make them compelling do you do you think because it's 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 fascinating to me how how political advertising or political video or however you you know all the different aspects how it might not at least in a lot of places change as quickly as the or how the candidates see want themselves to be perceived in media you know things mm -hmm. hasn't really progressed in their minds as fast as say how most people consume their media and by that i mean like you'd mentioned and tell me if i'm off base mm -hmm. here but you'd mentioned like a candidate it doesn't quite work when they're rigid and they want to sort of be like well i need to be perceived in in, a, in this certain way to you know whatever which seems like a very traditional like old school way of like this is how i am on camera this is like you know like yeah. very straightforward and what not where now I feel like because we are constantly bombarded not just in political things but in everything on the internet video has to especially for something that's dealing with real world connotation has to feel real and relatable and a little less kind of like business as usual as we used to see sure. maybe 15 or 20 years ago how political ads work yeah. and I think that's why 
um, uh, my company um, and companies like it mm-hmm. are 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 getting a lot of attention. And and you know, I can't. I'm not going to get into kind of the sausage making. Of course, of that. yeah, yeah. But um, but we do partner with a lot of like of the traditional firms because they see that they can't recreate that. Like the, the 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 firms that usually show up with like five cube trucks and perfect lighting and 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 makeup and all that, and and we're able to do that for a fraction of the cost. Yeah. And deliver something much more compelling. Now, you know we can't, we won't do that for every candidate, and, and so we, we're, we're 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 we've gotten more and more choosy. The more we're, we've become kind of um, we've matured in the industry and understood um, how it all works. But um, but there is there is a I would say there is a counterpoint to that as well, which is that as much as you're right, um, and I think the thing that we're doing is more powerful right now. For a younger generation and for national exposure, mm-hmm. it is not as effective on a local level. So, right. um, as far as get fundraising awareness, right. all that stuff, it's great. These videos are <laughs> really compelling, but voter turnout and actual like turning, especially mm-hmm. in primaries, like s- traditional methods are still really powerful. Now that's you know, polling, yeah. letter, you know, mm-hmm. you know, because. Where, where what what house does everybody vote in? Senior citizen home, you right. know, like these are the people that go and vote yeah. like ninety percent and up, right? Um, and te- you know, younger people, yes, there's more of them voting now, but just if you're playing a numbers game and out on local on a local level, you know, we're talking about district level races. Like we worked with a camp uh, with a candidate in Massachusetts who's really compelling, and he really leaned into us um, being able to like kind of do what we wanted, um, uh, you know, within. Yeah, uh, certain uh, uh, respects, but like he was kind of like open to a lot of ideas and and had some money because he was really good at fundraising, and um, we did really good work. And he ended up um, he ended up losing by like a hundred and eighty four votes against a you know woman candidate who was really um, compelling and uh, and and had that kind of like. You know, this is in many ways the year of the woman candidate, and 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 she was able to kind of lean into that mm-hmm. well, yeah. and and ha- ran a good race, and he didn't have enough um, kind of cachet to make up that kind of right. ground. So, but he got super close. But again, it's this thing where you're like you could literally argue that in that specific county, if um, you know a a local community college had turned out. 200 more people out of their... He would have won. You yeah. Know, yeah. He could have won. And then, and so it's like, sometimes it's that granular and that like yeah. specific. And that is where digital video doesn't really... Okay. Right. Interesting. Um, as well, yeah. I would say. You know, like local 30-second TV spots are going to get seen by people. Right. Like not everybody in the county is on Facebook getting served yeah. digital video. I think my, with my question, a little bit my bubble was showing... In a sense, meeting like I, you know, the way I yeah, ingest yeah, media yeah. And, is and not necessarily. But, but that's yeah. changing, right? Yeah. Like, and we're seeing it good and bad, right? Yeah. You're seeing yeah. it with the Bryces and the things, and then you're seeing the Russian, uh, which <laughs> to just jump into our movie yeah. uh, uh, conversation a little bit, I thought that was like the one thing that I was like, wow, he really glossed over that, like, yeah, really quickly, and yep. quickly. did not really go deep there, where he went deep on a lot of other things. Um, which I thought was just a really odd thing to gloss over, but 
So his choice. The movie we're talking about again is Fahrenheit 11.9. Matt, can you read us the? Uh, oh, and before we actually, sorry, before we jump into that, oh, yeah, what did I? Did I com- no, 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 uh, no, 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 no. I was. I, you, you did a beautiful <laughs> producer move, and you kept us on track. Where and- Shahir jumped in and and then <laughs> sidetracked himself. But the reason I sidetracked myself is because of a previous week's sidetrack. In the last week's episode, we did say we were going to be reviewing Mandy this week. We did, uh, and unfortunately, we we. That is just a difficult film to get to within our schedules. In New York City, <laughs> it was playing in one theater? Yeah, one or two theaters, which were, which was just unfortunately What difficult. is Mandy? Uh, Nicolas Cage's new film. Uh, oh, Nicholas is that C- why he did a, a Vanity Fair? I got sort of like Vanity Fair a thing about like the favorite characters he's ever played, and I was like, why is he being yeah. interviewed right now? <laughs> Probably this film. Okay, um, right. and got so it. I apologize. We will try to get to Mandy. It's just a little bit of a difficult film for us to see. Uh, we did get a listener uh, email in that actually did review Mandy, so I want to oh. read that out just to. Well, that's uh, nice. Uh, just, do our jobs for us. Do our jobs for us. This is coming from Stephen Priest uh, all the way in New Zealand. Uh, too much style. Over too little substance. Maybe we kind of dodged the bullet on this one. Uh, honestly, <laughs> stylistically, a derivative take on the on the heavy metal comic with a five minute forty eight hour film festival script. Wow. Throw in a lot of cash and an unfeasible long runtime for what it is, and wow. Nicolas Cage. Uh, that sounds better than it actually is. Nothing new, nothing to see. Uh, go and watch Legion on TV, which does the art better and has a story. Oh wow, Legion uh, is a beautiful show. I have not seen that, mm. but thank you, Stephen, for that. We, I, I. St- still want to see Mandy, uh, and we still will get to it eventually. So a uh, little bit of a detour this week as we yeah, jump into Fahrenheit. Of course. But I couldn't, I couldn't bypass having Simon on the show. Yeah. That's what it really was. I appreciate that. We also have a review. Matt, I think you should read this. Oh, review. I'm psyched. Can I, I just want to do this. Just, uh, just take it away. So this is on iTunes from Last Fan Standing, which is a great uh, iTunes handle, by the way, <laughs> and not just because you agree with me later in this review. Uh, bless Matt and Shahir. My job involves so, so much driving, and the only thing that keeps me from pulling out all of my hair over the terrible Ann Arbor traffic is listening to your podcast. I've been working my way up chronologically in order, so it's been a great experience for me. Wow. All right. I, you, you can just stop there. Yeah, no, 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 no right I can't. Uh, but stop. I did, I did just, just want to say. The great review last time saying, let's move on. No, no, just before <laughs> that, uh, the, the going through our, our thing chronologically, yeah. maybe it's take a while. last fan standing, write us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. And when you're done with this incredible experience, please tell me how you think both I and Shahir have changed <laughs> over the two and a half year course of wow. this. Because like the one thing we've switched on, but this is the best part. <laughs> it's not the best part. It's just my, it's my favorite. The last bit of the review goes, Oh, and by the way, Matt was 10,000% correct about the lobster in that review. I know it's random, but the truth must be spoken. Uh, well, it doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, you can you can have this one. Thank you, Last Man Standing, <laughs> and thank you, Shahir, for giving me the permission to be correct what, with you know our fan. You know what's funny is when I read that review, I was like, what were we arguing about with The Lobster? It was so long ago. That oh, I, I remember. Oh, you remember? I did. <laughs> the movie The Lobster? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the, it, the movie The Lobster, <laughs> tangent, basically falls into a bit of... Um, a, a type of, I won't even say type of film, but a type of film structure where mm. I am invested, like oh. not for the 90% runtime until the very end. And then the ending, in my opinion, <laughs> destroys the rest of the film because I just think it's either a cop out or I think it's uh, just derails the entire world it's built, stuff like that. Wow. Um, and The Lobster was a, was a universe that was so interesting to me while the film was going on. And then the end of the film left me like, oh, you didn't have 
have an ending, so you chose no ending. In my ah. opinion, that's a, yeah. yeah. Now you, you remember. I remember. Now that. you remember. <laughs> we don't have to get into. We're it. not going to get into it. No, I don't but, remember the ending, so I don't know if that's like. Uh, agreeing with you then, but okay, maybe, I, but I or do maybe remember the movie. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I don't know. It's the, so. I thank you, last fan standing. Appreciate the reviews. If anyone else would like to leave us a review, uh, five stars or however much you feel we deserve, please head over to iTunes and do just that. Also, email us in at onlymoviepodcast at gmail com or check us out at onlymoviepod on the Twitter box. Uh, we tweet some things. We do. We tweet. on occasion. On occasion. How many episodes are you guys up to? This now? is one eighty. Yeah, one eighty. Wow. Yeah, we have to start. We're getting close enough to start 200. thinking about. Yeah, we so have to start thinking about what we're going to do for 200. Yeah. Uh, Bring back all our guests, Quantum Leap style. We'll cram the, them in this room. room. Yeah. Uh, it'll be great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, Michael Moore, Donald Trump. I have to say, this is a topic we keep coming back to on this podcast. We've done. Um, we're talking about who would win in a fist fight, right? Because yeah. mm. that would be an interesting fight, to be honest with you. Um, right. <laughs> there were a couple of scenes where he was walking where I was like, he is old. Yeah. They both, that's what I'm saying. Like, they, it, would, it would be. I, I, you know, I'd want to throw my hat in a certain ring, but then I'm like, I, I fuck. <laughs> At any rate, uh, we the first on, we've I I think on this podcast one of the things we've done uh, sort of in an interesting way, either consciously or unconsciously, is use films to dis- discuss what is happening in the world around us, and and in particular, the one topic we have come back to many many times uh, is Donald Trump, and uh, that began with our uh, we did a special on the uh, the art of the deal with Johnny Depp, where I believe uh, we uh, we like most of America was like he'll never be president. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly yeah. right. In that episode, we were like he'll never be president. That's just this is just as ridiculous. It was a comedy routine at that. Point. And then and then he was president, and we had to we kind of uh, I forced us into kind of having a conversation about Michael Moore's previous film, Michael Moore in Trumpland. Yes. Um, to kind of right. figure out where we'd gone wrong previously, um, and now it's uh, it's been has it been a year? It feels like it's been ten. How many years? I, is, like is, it's been nine hundred six yeah. years. Yeah, it'll be two years. It'll be oh, two. We're years. talking about his president. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's been two, two years. And I mean, not November, but yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially it's, when the dread yeah. began. Yeah, <laughs> and so we're returning once again to Michael Moore. Um, We've done to, one between then as well. Have we? We did um, where where to invade next. I thought we did that before. Uh, at any rate, yeah. Um, and I guess the interesting thing here is um, trying to, f- in some respects, trying to figure out how. The, one of the questions we asked in our Michael Moore and Trumpland episode is what cinema would look like under Donald Trump. We've, we kind of discussed the idea that uh, under certain yes. uh, presidencies, films, you know, for example, under the uh, the Obama presidency, there was a sense of optimism, hope, maybe some some sense some uh, there was a lack of cynicism. Um, now, under the the, we're still in those early stages of the Donald Trump presidency before movies start rolling out. But you've seen films like The Post, uh, Black Klansman, for example, that really tackle the issue of Donald Trump. Um, and now Michael Moore has returned to that fray. Now, Michael Moore, obviously the film the filmmaker, Oscar winner for Bowling for Columbine, um, you know, famous for Roger and Me, Fahrenheit uh, 9-11, uh, which, which critiqued the, the George Bush years. Um, so this is a filmmaker that, that I guess, for better or for worse, is attempting to have his pulse uh, on the state of the world, state of America in particular, yeah. uh, at any given moment, whenever he makes a film, he he makes a film with purpose. Yes, um, and so this was an interesting one to return to. I guess, uh, and 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 uh, a wonderful guest to have on this episode to to kind of take the pulse of where we are as a nation right now. But Simon, uh, what did you? What do you think about Michael Moore? And what did you think? Uh, you know, what, what were your sure. what was your anticipation about this film? 
Well, I think, uh, uh, for starters, I think he is a very um, effective documentary filmmaker. He really um, gets you um, feeling yeah. about the things that he's talking about. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, it is... It's his own version of propaganda. Yeah, um, of course. In a in a in an effective way, uh, I think he does a really good job of kind of mixing archival with um, you know kind of his uh, journey in in this kind of like discovery of what he's trying to figure out about America or, or trying to point a finger at or kind of put a spotlight on. Um, so I think he does that really well. Um, it's probably one of the best in the business. I mean, even I, that's what's, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the details, but that whole like Steve Bannon thing where like yeah. Steve was like, oh, he does that really well. I'm yeah. just a apprentice to his like tactics yeah. and you're just like, oh, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but yeah. horrifying thing to hear, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if you're Michael Moore and, um, and so I think, I think that that's, uh, and it's good. And I think, uh, for me, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm not going to say there's some like false equivalency here of like, well, you know, this is the, the same thing is done on the uh, on the right. If it's Dinesh D'Souza yeah, or whatever, I'm like, no, this is this is much more. There, There is like a, a lot of truth and fact and kind of um, evidence presented in a way that isn't kind of like overly skewed. Now, do I think that he kind of like cherry picks? certain things um yes but i think that's the nature of film you have to kind of like pick your battles and 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 and, and create a narrative that works um so but I, th I i thought it was well done uh, for a movie that i felt was a little bit like buckshotty like yeah. kind of just sprayed yeah yeah uh, in a number of directions um he was able to kind of still keep you kind of going along for the ride without kind of feeling completely although i think he overused the like fade to black right pause <laughs> and turn right a, yeah a couple times too many where i was like he probably just kind of gave up on trying to find that natural bridge and was just like let's go hard stop and then turn, yeah turn left he he is a um i like the buckshot analogy uh, he is <sighs> he is very good at taking a large ship and steering it through a bunch of like narrow, almost stop like like I would I would call it film breaking moments and just getting it through just barely and like sort of still connected stuff and really you know whatever even but even some of the, this is one more than any I've actually seen uh, a lot we had more of the hard cut to blacks yeah. pause and it's almost like a reset for your brain uh, like walking through a doorway and it's uh, it, it was a little bit jarring for me as well especially I felt like the second half of the film had that more yeah. uh, than the first and I you know I, I was wondering to myself if it had been a consistent thing yeah. if it would have bothered me as much I feel like the second half really rolled into that because it was a lot of different stuff I mean he he kind of he didn't have fade to blacks for instance and where to invade next but that was a film that was very like now we're in Italy. Now mm. we're in wherever, like yeah. going down the thing. So there were natural breakpoints for him. Yeah. But this is like a ton of ideas, a ton of topics, yeah. which all do link together in sometimes very interesting ways. But uh, it sometimes the, the connection, the dot connecting was a little bit stretched. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of this, like, Again, it wasn't a conspiracy theory, but like that idea of like the the the, the cork board with the red line, yeah, yeah. <laughs> things connected, and then it's like, well, he gets to a certain point with something, and it's like he's kind of gone as deep as he can to make that point, and 
he's not going to end the movie here. So let's go to West Virginia and let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And 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 so again, the overarching message and point does connect. Yeah. This idea that you know we're we're kind of losing. Uh, our uh, our democracy in a certain way, and you know, if we're not more engaged, and then and then, then that kind of uh, question about engagement versus burning it all down and and starting fresh, right. you know, th- th- he he didn't answer a lot of questions, and it was definitely not about inspiring, like you know, go and vote, and we'll make it all better. It was yeah. kind of like, well, maybe we're fucked, and <laughs> it's a matter of how fucked we are. Michael Moore never, I, I've noticed this, doesn't really, in a couple of his films he does, but most of the times he's not a question answerer. He's a question poser. Yeah. He, he, he wants, I think he wants the audience to go out and be like, well, shit, now what? Mm. And that's, yeah. I, I, you know, you could argue to the effectiveness of that based on, you know, should, should, uh, in this particular case, such a well-known documentarian who is basically a celebrity in his own right, more so than a lot of documentary filmmakers, sure. um, should they have a stance that then is like, and here's the things you should do in this particular case, or what's the is that would that sort of lead into the problem and sort of make it sort of the other side of a propaganda? Pe- like I don't, it's it's yeah. all it's all. Shahir, what about you, buddy? So uh, I yeah I'm a. I'm a sort of tepid fan of Michael Moore. I think this <laughs> is how I would put it, which is that I'm I'm I am in admiration of his effectiveness. I, I think it was a very smart choice of words there. He's an effective filmmaker, mm-hmm. um, and and I'm and you know the the difficult thing for me, I guess, is that he's preaching to the choir when it comes to me. You know, like yeah. so it's 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 like well, yeah, I agree. So you know, like right. what are you gonna do? The the thing that I thought was really interesting in this is that uh, we noted this in Michael Moore and Trumpland, which which was a film we felt was kind of again pointed it was it was he put it out for a reason right right before the uh the the 2000 um uh 12 election 2000 um sorry 2016 election um but but we i think we both agreed that it was a sort of slapdash of a you know basically a, a ted talk that was kind of slapped together pretty poorly and and not yeah. as cohesively as we kind of would have expected from an academy it was award. not as polished and not, yeah. not that it's his stuff is overly polished in any way but yeah. but there was less of a it was it, it yeah. felt rushed it I felt agree. very rushed but for probably for a reason yeah. so the thing that i think i was sort of impressed by uh is the ambitious scope of what this film is trying to do mm-hmm. it's trying to it's trying to pull together a thesis about connecting Donald Trump to everything that Michael Moore has been talking about his entire career. And and I think the most notable facet of that was seeing clips from Roger and me in this movie. Yeah. Mm. Uh, which was really, I, it, it got me thinking about, I think there might have been a better way to frame what this film is, but I think it was an, actually a pretty ambitious and, in my mind, fairly successful treatise uh, not about Donald Trump, but how we ended up with Donald Trump. It's and, it's literally our Infinity War, but in real life. Yeah, <laughs> uh, not seeing Except the half the population doesn't die. <laughs> oh, yeah. n- well, give it time. Yeah. No, the I'm saying like uh, he, he oh, basically did I spoil that movie. <laughs> 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 not the snapping. Uh, no, I'm saying that all of his films up to this point, in a weird way, now have this interconnectivity being the culmination of like we're watching all like everything he's talked about did kind of lead to this point 
Uh, even for you, that's a that's a little bit of a reach, but I I'll, don't I'll, think I'll, so. I'll take it. I um, think it's very clear. <laughs> I have a theory okay. um, that uh, was building, and I, I think I have it cohesive enough where I can. I, I mean, again, I just saw it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think up until election day, he was making a doc about Flint. Right. Yeah. And it feels like he had to then left turn because yep. Flint was no longer. It could no longer be the only thing that he. Um, focused on, yeah, and he and and the natural connections from that to Trump made it easy for him to kind of build around that, yeah, yeah. Um, but like, like in in retrospect of thinking about that the movie again, it really is like you could see that Flint was such a focal point, and and most of that stuff was shot before the election, yeah, and leading up to it, the whole Obama mm. moment, which was really jarring, and and a couple of those things, and it just. That was where I think a couple times was like, okay, now it's kind of, you know, you're really focused on Flint and you're giving me a lot here. And then you're kind of like going to West Virginia for a couple minutes and, yeah. and then coming back to something else. Um, and again, I think it's probably the reason, I mean, uh, you know, opportunity comes from, circum, you know, circumstance and preparedness. But I think he... Uh, he probably at a certain point made that decision and then gave himself the time to do to really build it out right. Yeah. And then the the natural tie to right before the election the midterms, made yeah. sense. And so it's like he could have easily released eighty to ninety percent of this movie a year ago. Yeah. With what he had. Um, but it but obviously he, you know, he this was kind of the goal and so he kind of went this way. But the kind of byproduct of that is he had more time in the edit and more time to, to, to find a narrative yeah. that, that made sense. And so I think that that was effective. And to your point, like this, this, even though there are these kind of like hard stop moments, there still is. Like it still feels yeah. like a whole movie. Let, I mean, let's 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 break down what we I guess each of us think the cohesive idea behind what this film is. Obviously, it's pointed towards the midterm elections when the title itself or mm -hmm. on election day um, and, and leading us into the midterms. But but what do we think the overall thesis of Michael Moore is in this film? Even before we start that, I'll tell you what IMDb thinks the central sure. thesis of this film is. Uh, filmmaker Michael Moore examines the current state of American politics, particularly the Donald J. Trump presidency and gun violence while highlighting the power of grassroots democratic movements. Wow. I think that's I a description say... of what it is, but yeah, but, it's but, not, but it's yeah. not a description what is, of a, several of the points that it's are like, made. It's yeah. like four of the ten. Yeah. yeah. But what is what is what is Michael Moore getting at with this film? What is what is what does he want to say about I mean, on broad terms, he's obviously speaking about directly about America, directly about the American political system, but what what is the thing he's trying to say? It feels to me and this is a point that he's made in a lot of his movies is that the the influence and power of money and uh you know corporate interest is uh, a corrupting influence that exists mm -hmm. on both ends of the spectrum and i think he makes the point of saying on the right it's much more pervasive and 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 and, and un Hinged almost, sure. Yeah, uh, but then on the left, it's it's it it has pacified and and kind of neutered that yeah um, that group, and in in doing so has kind of uh, removed the, the the kind of enthusiasm and 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 uh, 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 
uh, energy from, yeah, from he, oh, what would be, be theoretically be the majority of American people. Like, you know, if, if there was buy-in uh, to his point about these issues where th they currently stand, whether it's, you know, and, and it's funny, this, you know, people sometimes look at it like, oh, 54% of the country, that doesn't seem like a majority. But when you're dealing with the millions of people, yeah. I mean, f you know, 4% is in the millions of people. Yeah. I yeah. might not get my math right here, right. but... But it's a lot of people. And so I think um, to me it was really about this idea of that like the the system as we have it, the kind of like old guard is um, is ineffective and, and, and kind of bought into uh, this this, you know, kind of you know, keeping the status quo alive as long as you, they can keep yeah. it alive. Uh -huh. And the only way to, you know, that's the end game. Uh, right. Spoiler thing that we'll get into later. <laughs> but like that to me was the, the basic uh, top line premise. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, I think, as well, because he opens with this conceit that um, the majority of the American voting population is far more liberal than yeah. than the political machinations, the political machinery would would have you believe, you know this idea, and I think it can be best summed up with the the sort of fear mongering Sean Hannity clip with you know like the fear of Medicare for all, the fear, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. but you know college, uh, free public, college, free that's college. crazy, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, and, but but you know Michael Moore's point here is that America is far more left leaning, and and again coming viewing this as a foreigner, um, you know this 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 fear of Medicare, you know of socialized medicine is something sort of fairly unhinged, you know, yeah. if you think about the American sure. population. Um, so he, he sort of starts at that point, and and I think his overall thesis is to is to illustrate the the powerless. I, I I also think that that one of the things he's doing is he's echoing the sentiment that has been going around. Uh, I think in in the majority of the voting population as they watch the daily deluge of 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 oddity of, of of odd news of of strange um uh unelegant politics that's happening now this frustration at, at, at the world we live in doesn't seem to reflect what we believe in and i think what michael moore is getting at here is the way that politics has failed most of the american working class or most of the american population as he kind of estimates it and there's a there's a but but to me there was a couple of I think where the film turns was there was a quote from one of the writers in this film and I can't remember the writer's name I believe it was Michael Tucker but I, I could be entirely mm. wrong about that but he wrote he, he said this one thing which was that there's this notion that we must protect democracy against Donald Trump and he and he this this author says yeah but America hasn't had a democracy has only had a democracy since the 70s if, yeah if America yeah. if 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 half the voting population you know if a majority um, a fair minority cannot vote and don't have rights. That is not a democracy. And well, at one point with women and minorities, it was the majority couldn't vote. Yeah, like it's like, and and so the, that that to me was the most jarring moment yes. in the film is is him reframing the idea that that America has this sacred democracy and saying no 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 if you're not if you're a minority if you're a woman if you're poor in America, America has never been a democracy for you. And and I thought right. that was a really fascinating point. And I think that's where the turn is for Michael Moore is that realization that the the dream that he is trying to protect from Donald Trump or you know like protect against Donald Trump mm -hmm. is a dream that doesn't exist. And and the sort of explosion of ideas that comes at the end of the movie about like basically fighting back against 
everything. So there's nothing off the table here. You know, there's the, sure. the liberal apathy is, is an issue. The fact that people aren't voting, um, the, the idea that the Democratic Party is some bastion of hope in the midterm elections, the idea that the special counsel is a bastion of hope, yeah, yeah. Um, is, is entirely built on a pretense of lies. And, and I think the reason why I think this film is so successful is that it articulates admittedly sometimes clumsily, but it articulates that overall frustration that we all have right now, this feeling of powerlessness when we watch the news, when we watch the daily sure. cavalcade of like, you know, errors, you know, that, that, that seem to be coming out of this, this particular white house. So that's why I think the film actually was successful for me. And, and, and our, uh, oddly, I think it's Michael Moore's most ambitious film. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's inelegant. It's kind of got all of the problems of Michael Moore, you know, that he has as a filmmaker. But, but they're kind of secondary to what he wants to say. It's also interesting, too, because, to be honest, again, this being the penultimate at this current point of his career, it's the film... And there's two things. One, it's the latest one he's done, so he has a lot to build off of. Uh, two... There's so much going on in the news cycle these days. Like it's right. it, he's he has so many things to pull from, and the fact, and it's funny because at first I was like, oh well, this is just because there's so many things to pull from. But I do think it takes the type of filmmaker like Michael Moore to even put it into a remotely put together context and sort of idea, kind of like what you just said, Jahir. That that line jarred me too. Like up until the 70s, we didn't have a democracy, and I was like. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Which is a funny um, kind of contrast to Donald Trump's slogan, right? The like, make America, America great. America, yeah, this America is the, great again the contradiction yeah. of that slogan. Yeah. And this idea, and like for him, you know, there's mm. obviously the kind of dog whistle racism to that. Mm. Um, but it also ties to that idea of like when white men, mm. you know, made the made Re the laws and ruled, yeah, yeah. You know, ruled everything. And not that that has changed oh so much. But um, but it is it, it's interesting and it's interesting to kind of see that play out now with some of these, you know, these really strong uh, female candidates and yeah. uh, candidates of color and it, it's really it's compelling and it, it, that part of it, not necessarily from the movie but in my kind of interaction with our political system gives me hope. So I'm well, oh, sorry, uh, sorry I didn't really do my my yeah, what's sorry. the what's the thing and I, I kind of agree sort of to both of your points I think that the the point that I rarely see especially in a Michael Moore film is that if we're looking at sides like the left and the right both have been in this weird symbiotic relationship of of, of basic corruption against and it's either against the American people or, uh, negligent of the American people, if that sort of makes sense. Like, and I don't know if these are something that I was thinking about in, in the theater. I was like, okay, so he's saying that the right using, I, I actually, there's a side note. I think I, I normally hate the like, sort of like the Hitler initial analogy to Donald Trump. This was the first actual like full argument of like the build right. to it when it was I was like cohesive. I was like, sense, I yeah. can now see this a hundred because a lot of times, I mean on the internet, if someone doesn't like something, it's instantly Hitler. Like, yeah. it, I mean, Obama, they put the stash. On exactly. Him. Yeah. Who knows how many times? So, <laughs> yeah. So this uh, was the most compelling thing of that. So I was like, Oh, so he's saying that the right 
is corrupt, but so overt in its corruptness and just sort of like basically showing everyone the corruption, but packaging it as like, we're shaking things up. Like, yeah. and so like, okay, like that's what that sort of thing is. And then the sort of, the other sh real shaking part of it to me was um, the the DNC, the convention yeah. with, mm. the, with the voting and the, and the things that like, so basically seeing the idea that Bernie had won several counties but was not uh, nominated uh, and, and Hillary won. And I feel like it like and it, it, I feel like this film was saying well that was saying about the right. I feel like it was saying the left is just as corrupt, but their their policy well not just as good sorry, that might not be the right term. Their their the ways that they stay <laughs> in power is much more it's it's less out in the open. If that makes the most sense, I would. Uh, here's how I would frame it, and, the, and having been a part of it, so yeah, 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 I recognize I have a bias, yeah. right? Yeah. No, uh, no, know, but like but... I, you have more insight to it than no, I do. I'm I, saying like this was my initial thing yeah. of what I thought the film was saying. I think the 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 film um, does a good job of saying like, look, there is a machine on the right, there is a machine on the left that exists, right? There, there's a machine, and with machines, um, there are parts that just do their job. Yeah, and. Um, it, it, when it's not rocking the boat, everybody's like, fine, the, the democratic machine is doing its job. Go it's, machine, it's, go. It is coalescing the largest group, uh, like constituency group it can, mm -hmm. um, to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, find an issue point that they can kind of agree on, right? Yeah. Uh, through compromise, whatever it is. Now that gets corrupted by the influence of money in politics and, and kind of gets shifted. Yeah. Uh, and so there, there are definite like flaws on the, on the left that are, um, similar to the right. I think for me, the issue between, you know, kind of creating false equivalency between the left and right. And I think I said this early at the very beginning is that, uh, there is, there is a, there is a kind of like just, vile corruption on the right that is that is not even attempting to be covered or 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 masked by something and you can you know like with the trump thing it's like some people are like weirdly like praising him for that for being so like, yeah. overt about it but uh with the left i think what ends up happening is it in it, it's its own version of propaganda you have um you know money and, and influence that basically attempts to turn issues in such a way that they um, they're beneficial to the the construct, the machine, right? And the the problem that ends up happening is, I think, is in a, in in a democracy when people aren't engaged and involved. Um, where does the fuel come from? You know, and if it's not coming from the electorate, it's coming now. And, and you know, when the fuel is coming from the the people that have the the power and influence. They're they're incentivized to keep people disengaged and keep people from feeling like they have a voice, yeah. Because then they're still the only source of fuel, the and oh, and so again with the machine, you there's a natural instinct to be like, well, this is what sustains the machine, so we're going to uh, accommodate that part of the system. I'm not making an excuse for no, it, no, yeah. But I'm saying that it's easy for uh, the new these new candidates to come in and say, well, we're gonna yeah. break the whole thing down. As well, they haven't been in the machine they yet, yeah. so they don't yeah. see how it works now. And that's why I think Michael Moore's later argument comes in about like, no, it's all broken. Yeah, we got to burn it all down. 
Uh, my only counter to that is, is the system broken? Are we as humans just flawed? And no matter what happens, we end up corrupting our own systems because we act in self-interest on either a personal or tribal level. Sure. And so, but that's a deeper... Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> the, the interesting thing about the machine analogy is... Like what you're you're saying, what fuels the machine? And if and if and if voters don't vote, yeah, the machine breaks down. The machine will run out of fuel, etc. The interesting thing, and I don't know, we have to figure out a way for the analogy to sort of fit into this. But no other machine is it the machine's job to make sure the machine still has enough fuel. If that makes sense, like hmm. the like because like it is both parties' jobs. To get people, if they want to be elected, and, until you start getting into sort of like, uh, you know, redistricting and, you know, gerrymandering, like all of the things they do on the side to do it as well. The, the, it is their job not only to govern, but when they want to be reelected to get people to vote them in or play with whatever rules the system has to get them voted in. Right. So it's the machine's job to sustain the machine so the machine can keep going. And that's an interesting sort of extra moment in the entire process that I I can't think of another thing that's particularly like that. So well, here, I'll, let me throw just yeah. one grenade into this okay. yeah. for the purpose of, of spurring debate. It doesn't necessarily tie into the film, but um, you know, you have these candidates uh, like we just talked about that are like socialized medicine, you know, job programs, so everybody's working. Um, stop spending on military so much and making tanks that nobody uses. You know, if you boil it down, it's not like these military, like this uh, this funding that we have in, the, in this country, and I don't necessarily agree with this. I'm just sure. saying this for the purpose of the argument, um, is unnecessary and frivolous and all this stuff. It's a jobs program. Right. I mean, that's the reason nobody votes against it, because every senator or congressman uh, doesn't want that military tank factory to leave their state and those... 30,000 people to stop working there. And so, you know, the Boeings, the the the, the Lockheeds, the whatever is like, you know, it we we're constantly building these things that don't have a purpose and that basically is socialism. Like, you know, a version of. Now, we might not agree with it from the standpoint of it's building war machines. Yeah. But it's socialism. So if they're building that or they're building gazebos sure it's it it's, also, it's specialized socialism in a weird way and, and specifically sure. and, I think and it's and it's run by very smart like people that know how to game the system and what we're really doing when we talk about solar energy when we're talking about all these different things that are good for you know for the environment whatever it is we're we're making the same that they should be doing the same types of things right like build enough solar um, factory, so you're employing, you know, the big argument in the last year or so has been like solar actually employs more people than coal. Right. So, coal, and that's a great mm -hmm. argument, and that's actually how you shift mm -hmm. that yeah. debate, right? The only reason we're still talking about coal is because Trump is a <laughs> weird person. <laughs> um, but, like, re truly, from a job standpoint, the, the number of people employed by coal hasn't moved at all. If anything, it's gone down and has nothing to do with regulation, it's just not viable in the same way that other alternative energy is when you've gotten coal every year in your stocking i'm sure you have an affinity to it uh as you grow older right and there's <laughs> actually a very topical thing and i'm sorry i'm very no, no. good at getting off no, no the rails, this is great 
but um, with the storm that just happened, yeah, there were a bunch of reports already about how um, like the the water getting into certain areas that were you know there were still coal burning plants, and there was like a poisoning of the air, uh, the, the 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 flood water, yeah. um, by that, and so it, it, it's another kind of like, and I know that doesn't jive with the earlier argument I was making, but it shows how like not great coal is as a uh, energy resource. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back to the the I'm gonna jump away from the machine analogy for a little bit, but just talk about that the in the film the particular the Bernie moment. Uh, uh, there are many moments in this film. Uh, obviously, the Flint crisis is almost a film unto itself. Yeah. Um. And and you know I think particularly for Michael Moore, you know, a child of Flint, someone who's been dealing with Flint in cinema for so long, to see that that Flint has endured another tragedy. Uh. Worse, worse on the scale than the 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 act of uh, the, the 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 leaving of of General Motors, uh, which is you know the the subject of uh, Roger Me. But I think there's a phrase that's entered the um, the political vernacular in the last couple of months, and it's a it's a it's been it's an, it's a phrase that was injected on purpose. But the phrase is the Trump derangement syndrome. Mm. Uh, and uh-huh. this was a phrase that was entered in, you know, it's a it's a repeat of uh, the Bush derangement syndrome, which was echoed in 2003. It's this idea that that Trump, um, as a political figure, spars so much. Uh, uh, so much anger and hatred on the left that it creates this sort of deranged approach. This is the the, the sort of Republican uh-huh. talking point that, you know, the Trump derangement syndrome. Um, but but I the thing about that Bernie moment is that I think there's there's an inkling of truth to this idea that that what what Donald Trump presented to the DNC around this decision to nominate Hillary over uh, Bernie Sanders is an existential crisis. Is, is a sense that the DNC were trying to figure out, okay, we've got this political uh, neophyte on the other end who seems to be stirring up fear-mongering hatred, who seems to be um, you know, appealing to the worst of us that we don't really believe is a viable candidate. So what as, a, as an organization, as a machine, if you will, um, do we do to coalesce against that? And, and for some reason, Bernie didn't fit that narrative as well as Hillary did. Um, and, you know, I, I don't agree with that, but I'm saying that's what I think the DNC did. But I think also what's happened with Donald Trump being in existence is it's caused, and it's, it's sort of the inception of this movie as well, is it's created an existential crisis for what is it that we actually believe in and how do we operate? Like, how do you, how do you suck air out of the room for someone who just lies, you know, constantly like how do you actually like how, if you well, if you have to take that seriously like most of the time you wouldn't just you just wouldn't take that seriously you wouldn't you would not have that person in the room but we have to deal with that person in the room now sure. we, we are essentially ostensibly There's deranged by that a person great vox video mm. oh. on exactly this idea that he purposefully mm. lies about everything mm. because it creates it exists the possibility yeah. for you to ever catch up yeah. to correcting mm-hmm. his I, his lies and it's it is a it is a very like purposeful like everything from like my crowd size is the biggest yeah. you know making up numbers 3000 people thing. didn't yeah. die in Puerto Rico because it's like yeah. the minute you try to be like okay let's talk about this and then he says the next thing and you're like all right well it's, that's a yeah. bigger lie let's go there and so nothing ever gets covered and the thing that they've studied that I, I'm going to butcher this mm. Vox piece, but they basically talk about that he just puts it out there and then it's discussed on these political shows, mm. especially the ones where they do the like 
let's have somebody on the left <laughs> debate yeah, yeah, somebody yeah. on the right, creating false equivalency for like, is it a lie? Well, blah. yeah, yeah. And then like, what ends up happening is it just you don't remember the nuance or the detail of it. You just remember that it's a thing, and then you, based on your political leanings, you're like, well, it's a thing, and that must be it because that's right the team that I root for versus oh that's a thing it's a lie because i hate him so it must be a lie and so it and then it then it truly does become this kind of like what is existential what is right yeah what is, what truth? is truth yeah, yeah what is truth how do i deal and and you know how do you uh, you know how do you deal with that and i think we said this on our previous episode which was that we or, or one of the episodes about debating donald trump and i think we talked about the idea that that it's actually very difficult to debate donald trump not because he's a good debater but I, because i think the rational actor would go there is no le- there's no point to debating this person right. because there's no legitimacy to this to this argument this is a bit of a tangent but i i disagree with the there's no point to debating him because i agree with everything up to that point yeah. i think um the way there, there's there's two ways you shut down the the and this is these are all hypothetical. The two ways you tr- shut down the not not obviously the presidency of Donald Trump, but the the uh, the air cut take the air out of the room of the Donald Trump constantly lie let, don't let us keep up message. And both wa- one way is impossible, and the other way I'm just sort of like maybe it'll happen. The right. way that's impossible is stop covering him. Still hold them account right. to certain things, but don't make it this like the the fair and balanced, like you know, mm-hmm. normalizing a debate of a thing that should be like common sense. Um, it's not going to happen. There's too much money in in sure. it, networks and things, and yeah. that's you know that's how it goes. Um, and so, in a way, his his maneuverings of his entire career led to this point. Donald Trump's like th- he's he's in a system that is not looking like it's going to break down anytime soon. Even once Trump is gone, uh, the, the the system that sort of. Uh, you know, catapulted him. And Michael Moore touches on this a little bit in the beginning of the film. The system of how the news cycle works will still be going on. The other way I think it is possible, however, and I'm literally shocked that it hasn't happened yet, but the fact that it hasn't leads me to believe that maybe it never will, is someone on the other side as, and I'll use the words charismatic, but I'll say charismatic and and, um, vocal, getting to a point of power where they can directly challenge him. And I don't see, that's the thing. Originally, before this all happened, I was like, obviously someone's going to, it's it's what Michael Moore says in the thing, like this false hope of like, oh, this'll do it. Oh, this'll do it. Oh, this'll do it. I thought that someone would come up and be like, let's get like, you know, get on a stage with Donald Trump or a debate or something like that and literally be like, you're a like sadly not be it like as political, but like be like you're a buffoon, and here's all these reasons. Sure, I I have a counter to that. Yeah, um, I have a counter that to I'll, this as that well. I'll, um, that I'll bring up that it go, it ties to a larger theory I have, um, which is that these things happen because there are vacuums that create them. Makes sense. You know, like Trump couldn't have happened eight years ago. Yeah, and there's a reason that he didn't try to because. The, you know, I mean, more t- Michael Moore takes it even further in saying that, like, uh, you know, which is, you know, broke my heart as a, uh, you know, no doubt fan, uh, <laughs> seeing that Gwen Stefani is re- responsible for all of this, which is yeah. sort of heartbreaking. <laughs> but, um, but there is this, I, this level of like, uh, you know, where's their opportunity? And I think there, there, there was a kind of in the same way that, um, as, you know, as, powerful and and kind of uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of iconic Obama was right. Mm -hmm. What he what he did that was that was um, bad is that he created a a a, compl a complacency on the left. Yeah, where everybody's like, he's got it. Mm -hmm. Like, let him deal with it. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. I don't need to go vote. I don't need to go run for something. Like, he's got it. Mm -hmm. He's the savior. He's mm -hmm. gonna fix it all. And the problem is he. Within two years of his first term, it just started losing, you know, all the levers of power yeah. that he had access to, which really limited what he was able to do and forced him. And this is the democratic mm. thing where where he made fun of this too to compromise, which yeah. then like really put him in uh, you know dire straits with his like you know African American base that was like, what's the deal? Why is he like? You know, uh, compromising with these racist white guys instead yeah. of like looking out for us and 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 very liberal people were like, why is he not being more liberal? I thought he was liberal, and that was him just trying to get things done. Yeah. and and you know, and 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 again, you're the most powerful um, person in the world theoretically from a you know uh, running a country, you know, the largest country or most powerful country standpoint. So it's like. You know, it's easy to kind of like throw shade on him for this decision, that decision, even that thing with the water. water. Yeah, I was curious what uh, you thought about that. I was disappointed. And I think anybody who, um, you know, and I don't know him as a friend, but I know him as somebody who's seen him behind the curtain, right? Like mm. not uh, yeah. on. Yeah. And he's a wonderful, really just warm, like everything I thought about him before I worked for the campaign was multiplied by a thousand. Like right. I saw him just be so kind and so engaged and so um, genuine with so many people that I was like, I was exhausted just being <laughs> there following yeah. it. Um, and he was just, you know, he cared. He cares so deeply. And I think that's like the root of <laughs> uh, most, you know, true Democrats is that there's a caring. Uh, the problem with that caring, there's often compromise and kind of like, and then there's this whole like, uh, when we get into the machine conversation of like, you're caring because you think that these interests will put money into your district, which will then create jobs. And you're still caring about your district, yeah. but you're doing it in like a effed up way that... <laughs> is hurting other people or hurting other, you know, districts or states or whatever it is. But the the larger point I was trying to make about this is that I think with the eight years we had of Obama, we really created a, like, just, there wasn't anybody compelling coming up on the Democratic side yeah. for eight years, which yeah. is a really crazy thing. And there, there we were losing elections left and right, and he was going out trying to do his thing, but, like, people just weren't compelling because the people that were coming out and running were people that were had... In, there were there for yeah. not great reasons. Right. And when he went away and this all happened, you saw this explosion. And and the la the right did something very similar when Obama was president. They were kind of saying like, hey, the world's on fire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's going to take your freedoms. Yeah. And like it didn't bring the best of the best to the yeah. table. It brought the craziest brought of the, the loudest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you had this kind of like – um, this room full of crazies and the Republican Party for a while tried to kind of control that and you saw that kind of happen in 2012 with like Mitt Romney still kind of like, yeah. you know, kind of being like, okay, well, there's one adult in the room, like, let's just like help him. Yeah. And it's not so dissimilar with what happened with Hillary where it was like, yes... Um, Bernie was compelling. He was interesting, but he was he was it was a lot of moonshot stuff that people were just like really into. But there wasn't a lot of like nuance and detail about how that's something you can accomplish right. with a Republican Congress and a Republican Senate. And so 
where Hillary is like the the seasoned politician who's like, okay, I'm gonna like try and wheel and deal here. Maneuver, yeah. And everybody's like, oh, fuck that. Like, yeah. we want to burn it all down. Bernie, 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 Bernie. It's like, yeah, great. But that doesn't, like, again, if we're here to like protect the democracy, that's just the left version of like fucking up, like burning down the house versus the right version of burning down the house, right? Yeah. And so it's like, you know, as a, as a, you know, now getting closer to my 40s human being, <laughs> like, you have to have like some r rational part of this again if we're talking about like you know the government and everything it's all a compromise i mean that's what com that's what government is and when yeah. you have these politicians who are become rock stars because they're saying i'm not going to compromise on anything that's counter to what a democracy is at its core right so do you do you think though i the the fundamental flaw in Michael Moore's rhetoric in this film is this idea that we should that the system is just fucked and we need to blow it up and start again um, because the foundation of the system is conflict and we are at a crisis point of conflict right now. Do you think that that is a, a fundamental flaw in the I, the kind of the final third of this film, which which lurches into like into you know uh posturing the idea that that uh, fascism is on its return and that that yeah. you know like there's a hitlerisk quality to I think that's that there is a realness to that right. you know you look at um Venezuela and some other places and you can see like it it's it's not I think that we we as a country and 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 democracies in general we're closer to that turn sometimes than we like to believe yeah. you know like we may have already it fallen off takes, the cliff. We just, just don't realize. Takes, you know, sometimes it takes less than fifty-one percent. <laughs> We're wily coyoteing yeah. it right now. Yeah. We're still running, and there's yeah. nothing under us. We just haven't looked down. Yeah. But I think the, the the bigger issue for me is always this idea that like somehow that like you know there is this Atlantis that once existed where we had it all perfectly figured out, mm -hmm. and like and we just need to you know I'm not, not not in the american context even mm. just like this idea that like look democracies work but they're fragile and they're fragile because they only work when people buy into them you yeah. know like when you believe in it then it's then it's like magical thinking like it can work but when you stop believing in it it stops working and sometimes even to your point before simon and i don't know i might be twisting words here but the but it i think almost the same can be said for when you believe in it too much sure because no, then yeah then it becomes because a, then you yeah, still don't sure. you're inactive and no it's a, it's a really i think it's a very delicate thing and I think what makes it so delicate is human nature. Like it's the tribalism. It's the thing, you know, like I, I, I think about sports all the time. It's funny because if you deal with people from, uh, from Washington DC, you'll find that like their way into conversations is often sports analogies yeah. <laughs> and sports. It's just like a, a thing because, yeah. um, that's the social, it's a social it humanizes yeah. me, um, kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, but, but sports is, I find it very similar. Like I'm a, you know, I'm a Jets fan and I don't like Patriots fans. <laughs> um, but I recognize that they're humans and that they like have a right to cheer for their team right. and disrespect my team. But you'll, you know, in certain dynamics, you see that, that the, the line gets crossed and that tribalism becomes where you dehumanize the other side, right? Like there's, there, there's been like the. Uh, those those videos where like somebody walks around Boston with a Yankees jacket and they just start getting punched, you know, by somebody. And yeah. it's like, it's like politics is not so dissimilar from that. It's, it's exactly like we, the same. We begin to like look at these Trump supporters and say, well, they're not even. They're just, 
idiots. Mm. And 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 again, I, it's not. A, I'm not going to make a false equivalence here and say it's the same thing on the left. I think there's much more um, like um, uh, empathy mm-hmm. on the left than there is on the right for the most part. Um, but I do think that at the end of the day, there is this thing of like, you know, the other team and people, and that's why it's like like tonally, people just don't tribalism is, is yeah. rampant. In, and the in problem all, yeah. we have with with like the news media, your point <laughs> earlier about the news media, yeah. is they feed into that because mm-hmm. to them, that's the ratings getter. It's like yeah. that's why CNN. I mean, their bread and butter is this like. Let's have so bring someone you know, on the right. Let's bring have Manchester United and, and Chelsea and like let them yeah. like, you know throw punches at each other. I uh, the getting back to a little bit of like my idea of like how no one has sort of stepped up to be what I sort of meant by that sort of mouthpiece and not like mm-hmm. in a uh, in sort of the overly politicized sort of like either a candidate or I don't I don't know how it goes but like. Where is the person, uh, this mythological savior I've just invented in my head, but where is this person that is equally, this is a weird thing to say, abhorrent, right? <laughs> but just has leftist views. Because it's like, so I'm this is I'm gonna go a little bit up and around. Avenatti? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, here, but, but no, let me sorry, yeah. let me uh, the, the reason I ask this is it's more of a of a hypothetical or philosophical question because I do honestly believe uh this is a weird tangent, but I will come back. I just did a whole series for the YouTube channel I work for, extra credits on the history of quantum computing and how you know the how light is both a particle and a wave and how it what waves actually cancel each other out and actually reality, if you think of the theory of of you know the the most recent physics, depending on if you believe on the whole bunch of stuff. basically, reality could be seen as um basically waves of possibility interacting with each other sure. and things waves like as in water so if, if a wave follows another wave and connects it can get bigger if two waves hit each other they'll sort of become a trough like the wave in the trough it'll even out where is the even out point in this particular arg- in this particular political world that we've hit like i i want to find the yen uh to, to trump's yin ying yeah, sure uh, I- like i don't so, so I what I think not the, there. <laughs> the, what I think about that argument is that there is a that that there is a belief that there is an equilibrium to the world, like for every right. Trump, that there is a uh, an equally good whatever. Um, the problem there is that what we're not acknowledging, perhaps only in this conversation, but we are, you know, I think acknowledging on a daily level, sure. is that Trump is not normal by any metric. You know, he's not normal. No. Of course, uh, against any metric that that exists, you know, he is uh, a person who seems to defy all um, all basic levels of civility that we would presume you would need to exist as a human being. But the one factor that that makes uh, that possible, and I think it's a po- it's a something that you've raised a couple of times in in your opening our uh, discussion of this film, and I think. It's at the heart of what Michael Moore wants to say, is that the corrosive power of money is something that we have to reckon with against what we think democracy is. So the way that other countries, you know, for example, the Scandinavians, Norway, you know, Finland, the, the all of Bernie Sanders' greatest hits, um, <laughs> is is basically to say that that that. We need to equalize the, va- the the power of money by redistribution of wealth. We need yeah. to, and and what that does is prevent 
a person like Donald Trump, who I don't think has any concept of what it means to not have money and what it means, you know, and what it means to have power and influence because of that money, despite his own um, ineffectiveness at basic humanity, you know, True. humanity. And I think, I think, you know, where, you know, the, the point that you make is what is the equilibrium there is, is, is maybe a little bit too hopeful about the idea that there is a yin and a yang to the world and and a little bit and I think I think that's what Donald Trump is I'm um, sorry what Michael Moore is trying to say with this film is that this idea that we will be saved that there is someone out there that there is a there is an order to the world is a is a narrative that 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 exists oh, in this movies feels like a god <laughs> argument no, I'm just yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well no no i think honestly i mean you could extend it to i won't even go to a god i would say an existence or a reality argument because right. the i don't think i don't think that um there is how do i put it like i can for example i can see people coalescing around bitter rock right now with that same sort sure. of well, thinking. Here, here's, here, here's what's funny, and this is how fast our world works now, right? You're saying that. You're making that point about, like, where is this person, right? This this figure, this... And we are, we are two years removed from a <laughs> transcendent president who was both black and white, who mm -hmm. spoke um, in... in poetic verse who inspired who did all of these beautiful things and and in some ways we look back longingly but in other ways we look back and say oh well, it, was, it wasn't as it wasn't as beautiful as the inspiration that we were sold at the beginning of and it. I, and I think that's why that water moment is important yeah. I think that water moment is important to as a you know, and I, I think that's why again this I, I, this I think this film works, is the water moment illustrates this idea that that we seem to have you know, and I I do this as well. I whenever I hear Obama, you know, like when I read an Obama tweet, I tear up. Yeah. You know, like when sure. I see him tweeting about the same thing that Donald Trump should be tweeting about, I kind of tear up at like, why isn't the world like this anymore? And I, I the, the water moment was a, you know, the water moment, thinking about Yemen, thinking about whistleblowers, thinking about um, uh, the, 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 the Wall Street bailout, is, is this idea that, that we do place a lot of value in saviors. And right. and that value has made us complacent. That value value has made us believe in things, believe in an order to the world that I just don't think necessarily well, it goes exists. back to that argument of like, yes, he is this transcendent um, figure, political figure. He's you know we have deified him in some ways, but at the end of the day, he was just like the largest cog in that same machine. Yeah. Right. The, the the sort of a, a two point structure. One, we a hundred percent love heroes. In fact, if you go back to every story in most of all of humanity, the entire like what like a, a third, if not more, is always the hero's journey. Like we're always looking for someone or something in any narrative, fiction or nonfiction, that is sort of the correct person that we can rally behind. Mm -hmm. Very rarely uh, you know, are you told a story that would can effectively bring you to be to that level? It's always so, sort of someone else in a way. So the 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 deification uh, uh, of Obama, let's just say, like the the but the the thing that gets me, and I don't know if it's a if it's a common sense thing or, or something along these lines, but like if you just look at the baseline of Obama and Trump, 
you having spent some time with Obama and you know mm-hmm. not not friends or anything like that but again you like you said I think believe you were you you saw behind the curtain slightly and mm-hmm. you know whatever your account of Obama does not surprise me in the least no, he, sure. he, he he comes off for any flaw or, or or praise he comes off as a genuine human being mm-hmm. and someone that that not only can make a statement eloquently but um you you he he's not. I would never use the even for his flaws. I would never say Obama is nefarious. Right. No. Right. Sure. I, and then you look at Donald Trump, <laughs> and instantly, I mean, even based before this president, like before he was running for president, you kind of knew he was a scumbag. He was a funny scumbag, <laughs> but he was a scumbag. And I'm wondering where the cog. I mean, I kind of know we could get into it of like, oh, just rallying to a base and trying to tell people that they're special in certain ways, and like you've yeah. been screwed by this other person, and blah blah blah. But I go back to my, and I don't think I think maybe I I misquoted my my quantum theory argument from before. Could it be another person? Sure. I don't think it's going to be. I do think. Uh, and this is not a God moment. I think this is a reality moment. It's the way I believe, to be honest, the way that the essential building blocks of the universe, whether you're talking about atoms, whether you're talking about quantum, whatever whatever that is, does have a a set of rules and a set – I won't even say balance because that's the wrong thing. But there will always be a counterweight. Trump in a very real way is a counterweight to the eight years of Obama and sure. the vacuum that I, was left. I call that the pendulum swing. But yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Same thing. So, so what is going to be the other thing? Is it going to be the potential blue wave in November? Is it going to be another particular candidate? Is it going to be the destruction of the way our country works? And, and getting back to the film – I don't know if I think Michael Moore is saying that, yep, it's all fucked, burn it down. I don't think that's what – I think he's posing that as an option, and I think mm-hmm. because that's the most striking option, it could stick more and it sort of seem like that's what he's saying. I don't think – again, I go back to my original thought on my first thought of this film. I don't think Michael Moore ever actually definitively says real specific like this is what we should do in films. Right. He puts things out there and people gravitate toward what they think yeah. their logical conclusion would be for better or worse. I think he brought up – enough points in this film and i guess we're sort of getting into my, my final thoughts because we've been we've been going for a little while gentlemen <laughs> um i think what what was effective for me with this film was that the ideas he put forth even at the disjointed end when he kept cutting to black and whatever and there was tons of stuff we didn't even touch on here the school shootings the teacher strikes right the 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 particular moment where he drove a flint water truck and sprayed it on the guy's lawn which made no cohesive sense whatsoever Although, and my one thing with that i'm just this this was my one like glaring like Michael Moore, why? Yeah, exactly. Moment, whereas he he had just finished pointing out how like much of a shtick it was for Obama to drink the, the water. water. Yeah. yeah, and then he does the most shticky thing. Exactly, which is like this like. And, and I was, was like, come on, guys. I was like, where is this going? And I was like, are they going to show that it killed his lawn plants? And then nothing. And I was just yeah. like, oh, this is your trailer moment. Like, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but overall, I think it's an effective film that asks a lot of really big and uncomfortable questions of us because mm-hmm. a viable option shittily enough is burning it down do i want that to happen absolutely not and do i think that it can still be saved yes i would i i don't have a lot of faith in humanity but i have a lot of faith in money <laughs> this is a weird thing and not that i have a ton but like the greed will always win out in my opinion but there are certain types of greed that need – in order to sate the level of greed, 
it's in the greedy's benefit to not have society completely like a country completely yeah. collapse. So therefore, it, it, I, I I don't think we'll go to that place of quote burn it down. But I think it's not. It, there's no. There's no definitive answer that he pres- that he presents that is correct or what will actually happen. It's going to be an amalgamation of everything. And I'm glad that these things were brought up in this film. I'm glad that it's out there. But at the same time, to Shahir's point, it's a little bit preaching to the choir. I was sitting in the audience and it was the leftist audience I'd ever seen. But it was also the oldest leftist. I was the youngest person in that theater, I guarantee you. Granted, I went at 4.30 on a Friday. <laughs> but the, uh, it was all older people that were either cheering or booing at certain parts. Well, it wasn't high school kids it going wasn't, to exactly. the... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, but, but they're also the voters. Side note, real funny story. There was an older couple that sat next, or that sat next to me and due to assigned seatings, they had to sit next to me. <laughs> and it was weird. The, uh, the, the man went to sit near me and then didn't He's like, oh, no, I want the other seat. And his wife's like, why? He's like, I want the other seat. I, it might have been because I was eating nachos, but I was making sure to finish them before the movie started because I'm not a monster. So the wife sat down next to me, and they were like having like 80-year-old couple like fake argument in front of me. And the guy kept trying to hold her hand after he went a little too far with the argument. She's like, no, you lost your chance. You lost your chance. She's like, I'm going to hold his hand. And she pointed at me. And I literally, without even looking, I just went. And she took my hand. And I was like, and I, I was like, well, you didn't want to sit next to me, so I'm gonna hold someone's hand. And we all had this like big laugh, and yeah. it was like a funny sort of moment. It has nothing to do with the movie. Was, was that before or no, after the movie? It was before the before the thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I went on that tangent, but it's it's. <laughs> the, it speaks to humanizing, like you they. Mm-hmm. They became yeah. Not it was it was abstract. Yeah, but it, it, it's great that we had that moment of closeness. But I feel like the entire theater was filled with people that I probably could have gotten away with that with, and it wouldn't have mm. taken a large discourse for. I want more people to see this. I don't think people outside of our particular realm of bubble or influence really will give it a shot because they're going to see Michael Moore, Bob, fuck that guy, like da 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 da. So. I it's it was effective for me, but I already had my mind made up on sort of where I was going. Yeah, yeah. the the one constituency group that I'd be interested to see if this moves the needle um, and going like people going to see it is uh, it really did like very and th- I think this is his like roots flint part of it this idea of like organized labor yeah. organized unions. Um, so it'd be interesting to see kind of like if this movie ends up inspiring some of those uh, those labor groups outside of the teacher teachers unions to kind of be like hey we can have that moment too if we all come together and kind of like you know because and i think that that was one of his like battle cries of the movie was yeah it's like hey you know if people really do organize and yeah and line up with you know a shared interest they can change something even when it's like this shitty west virginia uh, governor guy who seems oh, super no, no, sorry yeah <laughs> that, that was that was the Michigan governor. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, and that guy's just awful. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> He's wow. a... Never buying a Gateway computer again. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when I was young, when I was like 16 or 14 or whatever, I was like so excited for Gateway because they had the cool like canted angles in their commercial and a fucking cow as their logo. And I was like, this is dope. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll be brief on my thoughts. I, I think this is a very effective film. I agree with your point that I it's effective for me because I'm already in the seat that is leaning towards what this film is talking about. Which was your original point that I stole. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I think, I to me, um, it comes back to that 
it, it seemed to be an obvious statement, but it was one that when it was articulated in the film made me reconsider where I was at that particular moment. And that, and that was the statement that we haven't had a democracy. We've only had a democracy since 1970, since the mm-hmm. 1970s. And I think the rise of someone like Donald Trump speaks to the fact that America as a population, and I'm saying this as an outsider, um, hasn't dealt with racism. It just hasn't dealt with racism. And 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 if you look at the origin of, of Donald Trump, it, you know, in the political sphere, it's birtherism. And mm. and birtherism in any political context should be an absolute chick mark for life. You know, Mitt Romney lost the election uh, for 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 saying forty seven percent of the population uh, you know is on welfare. Uh, um, yeah. Howard Dean lost, uh, you know, lost for for shouting "Yeah" or "Yeehaw," you know. So saying that that the first African American president uh, might not legitimately be American should have been an absolute nullification of that person's legitimacy from the get go. That is a person. If they said that on the subway train, you would move to another car, you know, carriage, or you would um, you would ask for them to be ejected if they shouted it in a room. So, the, I think that to me, that alongside the 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 corrosive influence of money, are just two factors that are so embedded within the political system and so and have not yet been reckoned with in a way that effectively moves us forward. And so the thing about this film is that although it is preaching to the choir to me and and preaching to I think to the choir of this room and and maybe one of the er- while you are a terrific guest one of the errors we made is not inviting a hardcore republican who supports Donald Ooh. Trump to be in the room. Uh which is I you know we have tried that. It's just difficult to find. It's very difficult <laughs> to, to book. To, difficult to book in New York City. Um but but I think um <laughs> Republicans you want to make a killing in New York City to <laughs> yeah. go talk about them? Uh, go to Fox News. But or at the CNN. same time we might be doing the same thing that the news is doing if that's the case. Uh, um I think it's. I think it would be it valuable for us. It depends on the. I, yeah. Now I'm globalizing. Yeah, yes, but I think it would be. Re- you it would, I think it would be valuable. Republican is di- very different right. from like a. You know, mm. uh, oh, what's that? The Russian sounding guy, uh, Neil Neil Gorka, whatever it is. Right. By the way, you want to see something fascinating? I don't know if you have it in your cable. There's a uh, cable news channel called America One or America oh, yes, One. I have seen these clips. Holy yeah, yeah, yeah. cow! <laughs> it is like. It's like a poor man's Fox News on crack. Yeah, it's it's a wild thing to watch. I don't know how many people actually watch that channel, but it, it you know, it's, <laughs> it's a weird thing. I haven't had cable since 2013, so I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> um, so that those are my thoughts, uh, Simon. Do you want to take us out just with your kind of like you have been embedded in this world? You have been embedded uh, in in watching politicians do do what they do, uh, and 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 I'm really interested in. In your take on not necessarily Michael Moore's film, although that is interesting, but on on the state of the world as it exists today sure. and why it might exist today, I'll, I'll make I'll try to focus on two points in this. And my first point is that um, whether we deify or vilify, um, at the end, the, the thing that sometimes get lo- gets lost in this is that these are still just human beings, right? And they 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 act on you know learned 
behaviors that are sometimes primal. If you look at like, and yeah, and, and that's one of the, the distinctions I sometimes make about Republicans is they tend to be more primal in their thinking and their behavior. So fear, anger, uh, other, um, just very primal instincts. The dark side. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there, it, I mean, those things don't resonate for, like those concepts don't resonate forever because right. they're at, like not Abstract, real yeah. you know they, they they they're connected to something <laughs> and uh, and i think that like there is a uh, on the on the left there is a more kind of like analytical you know um evaluative process uh to thinking and it's still skewed and it's still tribal and all those things but that to me is the distinction so uh but the, to to the original point um you know, people deified Obama and, you know, I, I had the fortune to be around him enough to be like, oh, my God, he is just a human being. And he's like maybe the most perfect, best human being we ever had. <laughs> and and the system kind of got him like beat, too. You know, mm. he did a lot of good things and people, uh, you know, and mm. Trump has rolled back a lot of those things. But he did a lot of good things and mm. people don't realize like a lot of why our economy is good right now is because of things he did, oh, of, yeah. like safeguards he put in place. 100%. And, and, you know, and the whole thing about like the economy was dead in the water for the first two years of his presidency and, and all that stuff. But I think at the end of the day, I mean, he's still just a guy who like probably it has moments of self-doubt and insecurity and wants to just go, you know, take a bottle of gin and just forget the world. And he can't do that because there's a camera on him constantly. And he was able to be so graceful, and, you know, and he had to be perfect. And he knew that because he represented something that hadn't been, re- you know, like any mistake he made, like the Reverend Wright thing, you know, was yeah. going to be blown to pieces. <laughs> Uh, and he was still used as the linchpin for why the you know Tea Party movement, yeah. which is all these mm. things that were when mm. we were talking earlier about like how does Trump happen? It's yeah. like you know you unleash the beast and like all of a sudden the beast becomes self-sustaining and it no longer needs its host; it just needs to feed more. And you know some of those Tea Party candidates that came in and were like, okay, we're going to play ball, and then they're like, no, now I want the ball and I just get to keep it and play my game. And, and and that stuff is real, and it happened, uh, and it was, I think, in many ways, the thing that kind of led to Donald Trump. And I do think um, to 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 kind of uh, steer that into something hopeful. Well, one because I'm going to do this so that um, uh, you know I get to um, not be uh, destroyed by my wife uh, <laughs> at a later date and time. That I think that in the same way we deified Obama. Um, you know, we, we, especially we as, uh, uh, you know, Democrats or progressives or liberals, uh, we are at fault for, um, not deifying, but, but kind of like overly, um, uh, negatively painting Hillary Clinton. Like it's this thing where there, there was a study done uh, a while back that said like, Anytime Hillary Clinton wasn't running for office, her popularity was in like the 70s and 80s, right. like across the board. Mm-hmm. As a first lady, as as, as, a, as a senator. sitting senator, yeah. all these things. She was great at making deals. Mm-hmm. You know, she was compromised, this, that, the other thing. But whenever she was running for anything, mm-hmm. her, her approval went down almost 20%, mm-hmm. 25%. And I think part of that has to do with being a woman at yep. the time that she was a woman. And it is off-putting to a lot of men in power to see a woman be kind of that savvy and mm. 
and uh, aggressive. And, and I think part of it is also that because she had been in the theater of politics for as long as she had been, she'd made a lot of enemies and she uh, had a long track record to point at. And many people say that the reason she, she um, lost to Obama in 08 was not just because Obama was so transcendent and, and kind of charismatic. It was also because he didn't, he had a two year track record to look right, at. So yeah. There wasn't a lot to kind of pick apart and, and, and look at negatively. I mean, she had the whole, her husband's legacy, yep. her legacy. And the thing that I think is most messed up about the way that people kind of like put the loss on her is that like people blame her for her husband and like right. how it's fucked insane. up is that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like her husband cheated on her and it's her fault because yeah. she stayed with him. Like, like um, the reverse of that, the, the men would be, the man would be like, you know, like, oh, he stayed with her, even mm. though she was in, like, she didn't, she was not faithful to him, but he stayed with her. That's a sign of somebody that <laughs> loves and respects his yeah. wife and, like, is willing to, like, give her a second chance. And because she did it, she's a weak, flawed, you know, character. But, and so that's just my point about humans. Like, we're all, at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton is a human being. And my, my wife has told me stories, like, being around her when the cameras aren't on and she's a, like, She's just a really nice lady. She's yeah. like a, your middle school English teacher, like, but in like the nicest way, not yeah. in like a weird, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like scoldy way. Um, and so, like, I think sometimes we get away from that with some of these people that, like, oh, they're this, this, and you know, Trump is just a whole different. <laughs> animal, but, but generally speaking, these are human beings. They're flawed. They make mistakes, and, and we want the best people and we want to be able to separate real bad mistakes from you know smoking pot whatever it is like whatever your yeah. kind of like knock is and 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 the reason i make the distinction is like the whole thing with uh kavanaugh right now like yeah that is not a like people make mistakes like no that you're a you're a shitty bad person if yeah. at any point in your life you thought that was okay to do to somebody fuck you yep. like that's you don't come back from that um now just mm. I'll pivot from that <laughs> to my a la uh, Michael Moore. Yeah, yeah. To my hopefulness. <laughs> and and so my kind of general theory on humanity is that um, you know, we tend to kind of like overly critique what's currently going on, but the general trend of humanity has been towards being more and more civilized, generally speaking. There's been setbacks, but yes. Yeah, and then that goes back to my this idea of a pendulum, right? Mm -hmm. Like we generally we, and and uh, Obama has said this many times, you know, that the the arc of history is towards progress, mm. you know, and there are backswings and there are moments that are darker than others, you know, the Nazi Germany, um, the 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 Inquisition, the Dark Age, whatever it is. But then there's always that kind of like return from that. I mean, you know, uh, to, I'm mm -hmm. I'm also not born of this land. I was born in Germany, mm -hmm. and um, and I would say that like, you know, that was a you know Germany was in a really dark place for a, a significant mm -hmm. amount of time, but the kind of reaction to that was like for a very long time, and and still even though it's teetering now in Europe in general, but like they were stabilizing Western. Democracy yeah. that provides healthcare for their citizens and does a lot of progressive things in uh, uh, green energy and all kinds of things. And I think, in a lot of ways, that was still just a reaction to being 
like really shitty and yeah. being like, we don't ever want to be shitty like and they, that. Again. But they yeah. made a special effort also to recognize the historic. Oh yeah, and, and and to continually remind themselves. Of no, the no, and, and you, it's starting to fade a little bit, which mm. worries me. I I go back a decent amount because I have family, mm. but like I remember when I was younger, like like literally it was like this weird. I'd be around my grandparents, and they were very like self like like loathing <laughs> like like well whatever america wants to do like we're cool with that because they're the good guys right. and we want to be aligned with the good guys and like <laughs> it was like almost like a little over the top but um my, again my point is that these things happen like these moments in history happen they're not great um i don't know if they're supposed to happen but i do know that generally speaking um humans uh, are still evolving we're still uh shaping society and i think that the general trend in that is towards a better version of it now you know it doesn't always seem like that in the micro kind of perspective but when you look at instead of looking at like tens or hundreds of years you're looking at thousands of years sure it um it, it you know we're we're better um and then just a little uh, curveball at the end there, which I think you'll enjoy based on your your YouTube perspective on what you were talking about before. <laughs> if Elon Ma Musk is correct and we're living in a simulation, the concern is, are we living in a si simulation that will self-destruct because <laughs> of Donald Trump or some other <laughs> catalyst? Or are we living in a simulation that ends up in a utopic future that well, is great. Well, the interesting thing about that is it doesn't matter from our perspective, from our limited uh, perception of our own universe. Right. Either of those things still suck equally. Yeah, <laughs> and we die at the end yeah. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a perfect way to take us out. Well, we this, will all die <laughs> in the end. This has <laughs> been the only podcast about the film Fahrenheit 11.9. Simon... <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, this has been fantastic. And chatting and lending your Did expertise. Pass? You no. passed. And, yeah. and, and now we will reveal if the world is actually a simulation. <laughs> Maybe. Um, when you are not, good sir, uh, kicking it on Air Force One and talking <laughs> with one of the most wonderful men on the planet, and I don't mean either of us. I'm, yeah, of course, no, talking about Obama. Yeah. Um, where can folks find you? Um, they probably can find me just by the fact that I'm on Facebook or on Instagram. Which sure. I'm a regular, um, I believe I, I still have a very cheesy Instagram hashtag, which is at SciGuy. <laughs> no, is it at, I don't even, no, that's my Twitter <laughs> handle. Sorry. Twitter's older, so I got gotcha. And you have an unusual spelling, right? Yeah, so it's S-A-I-M-O-N-K, I believe, for, uh, Instagram, which is the thing that I probably interact with right. most frequently. Uh, but generally speaking, I just work a lot, and so that's what I do. And my company is Hardpin Media, uh, which I love. I have really great employees that care deeply about democracy and doing good things in progressive politics. And, uh, yeah, we're trying to fight the good fight uh, nice. in that skewed kind of left-leaning way. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Shahir, when you are not... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, when you are not... Wrong about the lobster? When you sure, why not? I was at loss of words, but you saved it. Where can folks find you? You can find me um, uh, uh, being, you know, uh, sulking in the corner of regret uh, at my website <laughs> at www.shahirdowd.com. Matt, when you are uh, neither uh, a one nor a zero, or could potentially be both, where can people find you? All of my particles are highly entangled at matthewkroll.com and m a t t h e w k r o l.com. 
Pounds My Life and Works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z, on Instagram or Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out Extra Credits, uh, my YouTube channel at this point, where we just released our first thing on quantum computing. We're going through the history of the um, the uh, Society of Majapahit, and I believe we just released something on the joy of losing in gaming. Uh, why we should, and actually, it it's a little bit uh, goes into the topics we're talking about here because when when you make something a, a video game, politics, relationships, anything, when you literally boil it down to a win or lose sort of binary, going back to your thing, Shahir, right there, you're kind of missing the point of the entire exercise because if something is in fact fair. If something is officially like 50-50 balanced and you have it as a very like win or lose, 50% of your base is going to be disappointed no matter what you do. So anyway, it, it, it doesn't tie in exactly, but it's something that sort of fits into a little bit of what we're saying. Simon, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week. What are we doing? Uh, let's try for Mandy again. Let's just keep <laughs> just saying keep every week. Let's say it's Mandy and then do something else. Okay, <laughs> sure. I guess next week will be Mandy. Yeah, sure. Why not? All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.